friends and family, welcome back to the new scoreboard. This is Love God Like Sports here once again with Brian Davidson. Brian, how are you doing today? Great, Nate. Just ready to go. Nice little short and sweet podcast today before the Thanksgiving holiday, one of my favorites of the year. So yeah, looking forward to our time today. Yeah, absolutely. And we just want to remind our listeners that uh, this will be the last one that we're doing before we take the holidays off. We're going to, um, just because of the craziness of schedules and trying to work everything into this time of the year, I uh, just decided that it would be better to, to take a breather, take a break. So this will be uh, officially episode number 10 that we've done. Uh, so we've been at it 10 weeks so far because we haven't uh, we haven't missed a week yet. So 10 weeks. So that's exciting. And definitely, uh, definitely exciting. 10 in a row. I mean, come on. Come yeah, on. that's like. You know, we're getting somewhere, getting some traction here, laying a foundation. That's right. Moving and grooving. Um, So (laughs) we're going to go ahead and uh, we want to dive right in. And today's topic actually revolves around our closing tagline, the glory of the impossible. And so today, Brian, uh, go ahead and lead us into our P for today. Yeah, the P is possible. And uh, obviously, the glory of the impossible has just really become almost like a vision statement for myself and uh, over the years. And I, it's kind of, you know, I've, I've defined the glory of the impossible as being, you know, when God works in and through you beyond anything you could dream or imagine. And he and he alone gets the glory. So we can't rob them of any of it. And yet when we put ourselves in that position, when we are absolutely surrendered to his will, if we're totally and double downing on being um, obedient and faithful to his ways and to his will, then we get in this position where God can work deeply in us, but also through us. And, and, and I'm really going to talk about the through us today, um, the glory impossible. First of all, the, the name is something I ripped off from, I, I'm not sure who ripped it off from who first, but <laughs> I, I'm part of a bigger organization called SIM, um, and they've been around since 1893. Great mission organization, 4,000 missionaries around the world, 65 countries, 70 countries, I think now. And one of their members, that uh, used to be called Sudan Interior Mission, wrote a little book called The Glory of the Impossible. It wasn't a, a bestseller by any means, but it was really a, a testimony of the work they did, uh, he was a doctor, and he did in, in Nigeria and Africa, different places in Africa, and it had to do with some of the, the lepers, and boy, was it inspiring to me. One particular uh, young man had come down with leprosy, and he uh, went to this hospital where this Christian doctor was with SIM, and a long story short, he comes to faith in Christ. And he rejoices with the Lord in the fact that he had leprosy. And and it was just exciting to read his story, the challenges that he went through being a leper in that community. 
and how he was ostracized and, you know, just, just the incredible challenges that, and yet he was rejoicing because it was that leprosy that gave him uh, saving faith. And so uh, it, it was really neat. So I, I took um, the title of that book. Yeah, if any of you have read the the book Perspectives, it's a, it's a great mission book with, it's just chock full of all sorts of articles on a variety of different topics within missions. And one of them is called The Glory of the Impossible. Uh, and that article was all about Samuel Swimmer, who was a powerfully anointed <laughs> minister of God to Muslim people. Mm. And um, he that article also just got me really excited because it says, does it really matter how many die or how much money we spend in opening closed doors if we really believe that missions are warfare and that the king's glory is at stake? And, and he, he talks about our willingness to sacrifice for an enterprise is always in proportion to our faith in that enterprise. Faith has the genius of transforming the barely possible into actuality. When Once men are dominated by the conviction that a thing must be done, they will stop at nothing until it is accomplished. We have marching orders, as the Iron Duke Arthur Wesley, Duke of Wellington said, and because our commander-in-chief is not absent, but with us, the impossible becomes not only practical, but imperative. And it's just, it inspired me because as I talk, you know, put this into the whole environment of competitive sports and Christians entering that environment, I see the people within that environment as a lost people group as well. Mm. And I think when we change our purpose, we repurpose why we're going into the environment of competitive sports, we have a passion for loving our God and, and loving our, our neighbor now. And we have a different perspective you know, we seek for to abide in him so that our present will presence will be a sweet aroma. Well, then we put ourselves in this position for the glory of the impossible, for God to use us in the lives of others around us. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, through our young child or whether through, you know, dad and mom. But that's what should be like you know, um, what our heart beats with. And, and when we put ourselves in a position, God can use us in the process of somebody else coming to know him. And there's no greater use of one's life. And there's no sacrifice or commitment that we can make that is even, um, that, that, that doesn't make that worth it. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how hard or challenging or what that looks like for us as we enter into that environment of competitive sports. And we know there are so many challenging circumstances, situations, people, issues that we face there. 
But none of the sacrifice, the commitments that we can make to surrender ourselves all to the Lord, that we can't use those opportunities to be used by God to be his witness, to be his light, to be his salt in those that uh, he's given us relationships to. And, um, you know, you know, we see the, the famous verse in Scripture is Luke 18, 27, where it says, and Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. I think, Nate, too oftentimes for Christians in sport, we kind of use that verse as almost like rubbing the genie of like the David and Goliath. We're playing this great competitor this week, but we can beat them. You know, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Right. I just think we got to get away from that. Yeah. That's, that's not the heartbeat. In fact, even this text, Nate, is talking about, if you take the true context, it's talking about salvation here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think that's so good. And I think it's so important to understand that particularly in the environment of competitive sports where, you know, we are, we are pinned up against pride constantly and fighting against pride constantly in this environment of competitive sports. So to understand um, how humble uh, we need to be in order for Christ to reach us through salvation. Um, I, you know, I love how you brought up that verse and talked about that context of salvation in there. Exactly. And, and even, even it's salvation is, is nothing we can take credit for. It's, it's the opposite with sports where we seem to take credit for success or achievements or accomplishments. When we as Christians in sport, surrender ourselves to, to God's ways, his will, his word, and say, God, use us, use us for your purposes, your kingdom purposes, then we get the blessing of being a part of that transforming message that takes place in the hearts of others. And, you know, even I, I just keep getting inspired by this because that's what's going to be, no matter what trophy or championship, anybody, any family can be a part of in the world of sports, it will always compare pale to the trophy of grace that God used you in this impossible task of bringing people onto himself. Charles uh, Spurgeon, uh, I just keep getting inspired by this whole thought, but Charles Spurgeon said, preaching from the text, all power is given unto me. Lo, I am with you always. He, he said these words, you have a factor here that is absolutely infinite. And what it does is it's a matter as to what other factors may be. They like pale in comparison. You know, some people say, I will do as much as I can. Well, Spurgeon says, any fool can do that. He that believes in Christ does what he cannot do, attempts the impossible and performs it by the grace of God. And uh, I just I just keep getting, I get excited about that when we read what some of the, the missionaries went through as they went to reach the, the people groups that were, you know, so far off and cut off from the world. 
to hear their stories. They had enormous uh, uh, obedience and faithfulness and trust in God and knew that when it came to salvation, God could do the impossible. I mean, like, look what happened to Paul. So that's no different than the, the coach that we see that's just so arrogant, so full of himself, so vicariously living through his coaches, so trying to be the next Bill Belichick or Coach K or whatever, and he seems so distant. We don't know all that's going on in his life. We just know it's empty if he doesn't have Christ in it. And that should motivate our prayers for him. That should motivate our desire to be used by God, to befriend him so that God could give us the opportunity to share the powerful good news, the gospel that brings people onto his salvation. And and that's going to look different and it's going to be costly because we're going to have to bite our tongue. But so what? Like, you know, uh, David Livingston, you know, he was another great missionary back in the 1800s. Um, and he was, um, he made an earnest appeal for, you know, a, a specific continent, you know, the, well, Africa. Right. And he, he said to this, I think someone asked him about like, um, whether about the sacrifice that he made. And his response was this. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Let me read that again. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and a healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word and such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice on my part. Say it rather is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. And I think we should all take those words and then put them in our own context as Christians in sport, as a family. Is it really a sacrifice to give up wanting to make a name for ourselves? Is it really a sacrifice for us to bite our tongue 
when words of self-righteous indignation seem to be upon our lips? Is it such a sacrifice and commitment to the Lord that we cannot invite some of these friends over, take a few hours to get to know some of these families that seem so different than us, so far from Christ, um, maybe full of vulgarities, you know, that are taking place there. Just maybe just, you know, arrogant and, you know, snobby or self-righteous. Who knows? Whatever that is, is it such a sacrifice on our part to commit ourselves to loving them? to loving them with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, to asking God to, to help us reach out to them, show us how to do that, um, and, and asking God to bring them unto himself and to use us to do that. I don't know. That's what I get somewhat. I, I just get so excited if we can unleash into the environment of competitive sports all across this country, families who have that type of um, desire to be in that position for the glory of the impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I love what you said about, you know, reaching out to those people. You know, as you were talking, I was sitting there and I was thinking about, you know, the, the major leagues and, how many of those people are on opposite teams? Maybe they were once teammates. Maybe they've never been teammates. You know, they're competing against one another. But constantly, I am uh, just astounded slash um, delighted at the fact that you know those people after a game will get together and they'll go out to dinner. They'll get together and they'll you know talk. And you can see a camaraderie and a friendship on opposite teams, even though as fans we take things so seriously. But there is a camaraderie, and you can see that even when a, a runner gets on base and they're sitting there talking to the person, you know, talking to the first baseman on the other team. You can see them having a conversation, you know, you can see them, yeah. you know, laughing and joking about something. Um, and, and it's amazing to see even at that high professional level, you know, and yeah, there, there are uh, definitely some horrible things, you know, that can go on in games. You know, we see pitchers trying to hit batters at times. We see, you know, people rushing them out. You know, we see all different things. But I love those moments where we see, you know, the guy just hit on the first base and, and then those two guys are sitting there having a brief conversation while the game's paused for a minute, you know, and you can see them yeah. enjoying what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. You can strive to win with uh, all your energy, you know, all your co concentration, all your focus, all your intensity, all your effort. And still, and, and you can do that with your kids' teams, desire that, but never to the point where you lose sight of the fact of, what our higher calling is as followers of Christ. Yeah. To, to go out in the world <laughs> and make disciples. That's a mandate for everybody, just not the missionaries. And what I'm saying is 
the harvest is ripe in the environment of competitive youth sports all across the country. Yeah. All across the country. We have such an opportunity to stand in stark contrast to so much of the prevailing behavior and character and conduct in there and be so different as in, in which to draw others to God. And we can, we can just, I, I just like, you know, in overseas, I've been a part of some tremendous glory of the impossible experiences. I mean, I've seen God do some just amazing things through uh, a coaching initiative, a camp initiative, a team initiative in sports. And it's something that I've wanted to like, you know, as I came back to the States and the mission field and from traveling all over the world, I thought, why can't that happen right here in our youth sports environment? What's blocking that from happening? And as we've walked through some of these P's and we process them and we're honest and transparent and we seek out to God and say, search us, oh God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thought. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. You know, it's, it's how we begin to see God's greater purposes for our involvement in youth sports. And boy, it would be so great to set up a little website, which we hope to do in the beginning of this next year, and have people going, look at the glory and the impossible, what God's done through my son's life, through my daughter's life, through my life, with this family, with an umpire, with an opposing coach with an opposing player. You won't believe it. Let me tell you about it. And and I think people will get so excited. One of the first times I ever shared my faith, it was really hard. I was, you know, paralyzed by fear. And then, you know, after I got over that hurdle of sharing it, man, I just kept sharing it. And, and then somebody, God used me and, and, and this gospel truth words, you know, from scripture to bring somebody onto himself. And it was like, wow, nothing in sports ever compared to that. It was so exciting. And I believe if families begin to capture um, and experience the joy of, you know, participating in somebody coming to know him, a trophy of grace, There'll be no stopping them. And I do think, I'll never forget Joy, your wife, when, you know, we were sharing the God, talking to her about our neighbors in, in California when she was a little girl, not knowing um, Christ as their savior. And she was like, let's go tell them. Right. You know, like, yeah. And she was like, I don't know. She was probably like four or five. She goes, well, let's go over there right now and tell them. And, you know, it was only my hesitation of my instant response was, Oh, well, no, 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 we can't do it that way. But I was thinking, why can't we? <laughs> you know, like, what's holding me back? So there's a balance of that urgency of just, hey, just go and share. And and But I do think that we can develop these relationships that will lead to it, especially if that's our heart's desire, our will, because it is also the will of God. And uh, I, I've just seen so many... Now, I'll tell you about a couple real quickly. Like, um, 
there was um an op um an opportunity there, there well there was a young man his his little name was jihad and um he was singing in the front row of one of our sports ministry training um conferences that i was leading and i didn't know his name at that point and his worship was just so like you could see it in him like he was just so joyful so grateful so exciting so hands in the air just just you know oh it just the presence of god seemed in him and around him at that time the joy of the lord and i asked somebody what's his name they said jihad and i was like what <laughs> and uh, he said like his name is jihad i was like whoa i want to hear that story and the long and short of it was christ came to him uh through a vision and uh led him to a man who could tell him about Christ? He was he was a Muslim in a, um, a village, hundred um, percent all Muslim village. In fact, not only was a Muslim, he persecuted Christians and was a part of a ninety member gang that had set fires to a lot of churches while I lived there um, in Ethiopia. And he talked about that with me and all. And uh, this vision happened. He got led to a Christian man on a street. A Christian man shared the gospel with him, and today he's ministering um, as a sports minister with our sports friends ministry, leading wow. others to him. And his name literally was Jihad. That's what his father named him in hopes that he would be a militant Muslim, which he was um, pursuing and, yeah. and was participating in. And now he knows the Lord. So, like, what? If he can come to Christ, can't the umpire, can't the opposing coach? I mean, and I've just seen so many of those incredible stories. Even, you know, it's just something that I just, I long to see families just changing their whole, um, just repurposing their participation in youth sports around this love God, like sports, love your neighbor. It's a new scoreboard. And when that happens, man, you know, before kids go to bed at night, they're praying for teammates, right? Like one Chinese man who came to know Christ, uh, someone said, well, what's the difference between, you know, having faith as a Christian in China versus having faith as a Christian in America? And he said, well, the one noticeable thing is when we pray, we have uh, tears and urgency, a sense of urgency in our prayers. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, what if we capture that same thing for those in the youth sports environment that are far from him? And we say, God, we aren't great theologians. We just know who you are. We have become followers of you fully. Um, desiring to be used by you so that others can be part of that great celebration one day. Lord, use us. And I'm telling you, he's going to use our kids. You know, he's going to use, he's going to provide incredible opportunities. They might be really difficult losses. They might really be difficult calls against our children. Mm -hmm. it, that might even cause an injury maybe even a bad injury. But that situation and how we respond to it and how we forgive the other individual that might or may not be remorseful is going to provide opportunities 
for them to come to Christ. Um, it might be our, our child just innocently getting hurt, but then still being a great teammate. Um, it might be people saying negative things about our kids and us going up to those opposing fans and um, saying something positive about their team. Yeah. Um, or if you happen to know their son, their son over there. I mean, just absolutely honest. The only way you can do that, that's a supernatural response by the Holy Spirit working in you. Nothing you can do in and of yourself. But by doing that, you put yourself in a, a position where God could really work <laughs> that impossible salvation experience within that person, whether right at that moment or whether it's just part of God's process in pursuing that lost heart, that not yet believer, as we like to say. Yeah. And, you know, again, as as you're sitting here speaking, I'm, I'm in my mind thinking about um, this idea that um, a pastor here at uh, CFC Christ Fellowship Church has been pre has preached on in the past, you know, and all too many times, particularly as American Christians, we have this idea that um, God wants me to be happy. So that means I'm going to win every game. That means nothing bad's going to happen to me, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually, all good things are going to come my way. Um, it's really this idea of Christian karma almost. And I love what Greg says. Um, and I forget who he quotes. Um, Greg will just take the credit for himself, but I know he's quoting someone. Um, and it, God doesn't desire for us to be happy. He desires for us to be holy. And so God is going to put those things in our lives, even in the environment of competitive sports, that are going to refine us, that are going to push us more in that direction of becoming more and more like him, holy. And so that might mean that he is going to put the nastiest parent on the other side of the field to come into contact with you. That might mean he's going to put the worst ref in the world on the, yeah. the field so that, you know, you're going to have to, to deal with that. And, um, you know, that might mean that you might have to deal with some of the most crushing defeats, some of the most, um, you know, bad, some of the worst injuries, but all for the purpose of his glory so that he might work through you to make you more and more like him. Yeah, no, that that's spot on. Exactly what we're talking about here. And our joy comes from the Lord. And, you know, as Paul was saying, whether he's in a prison or whatever, you know, the trials and tribulations, the losses, the challenges that we'll face in the youth sporting environment. I mean, our joy is still in the Lord. Yes. <laughs> you know, it supersedes these sports negative experiences and if we can if we can see that um then god's going to use us and and it's going to be powerful and I, I mean i just i i the words of um david livingston when he finished you know he was when he was um talking at cambridge university back in 1857 he said you know he was basically done and he said nay I beg to direct your attention to Africa. I feel like I'm saying I beg you to direct your attention to the environment of competitive <laughs> youth sports. I know that in a few years I shall be cut off from that country. I, and I know 
I'm, my kids are growing up. I'll be cut off from the youth sports environment, you know, right. With, and it's now open. Who knows what's going to happen in our country? You know, things could become more and more closed. I know that in a few years I shall be cut off in that country, which is now open. Do not let it be shut again. I go back to Africa to try and make an open path for commerce and Christianity. Do you carry out the work which I have begun? I leave it with you. And I think, you know, I I want to be used by God in the environment for competitive sports. It is our prayer for our family. I want our boys to be used. I want my wife to be used that way. But now it's like, I leave it with you. you got to take up the mantle. I mean, who is this God that you believe in is, is that person that you see so far from Christ, that situation that's so difficult, that's going to demand so much of you as far as responding in a Christ-like manner. Is that really impossible with God? is it? And and we have to say, no, it's not. And I, I think back of like another glory of the impossible, you know, situation. It was back in 1905, and it was the invasion of uh, Wales, basically, the country of Wales, by the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me read this for a second. A sense of the Lord's presence was everywhere. James Stewart wrote about this, and this is him talking. His presence was so great that even the places of amusement and carousel, as he called it, became places of holy awe. At that time, Wales was in the grip of football, what we call soccer fever. Well, just think about today. We're in the grip of a sports-crazed world. Wales, up until this time, was in the grip of a football fever when tens of thousands of working-class men thought and talked only of one thing. They gambled also on the results of the game. But now they fell in love with God. And I thought, wow. That's the spirit of God at work in which he could take people who had this fever, which were, I mean, this frenzy, this craziness for sports, which is us today. And his spirit came in there and changed these working class people. That's that's us. That's who we are out in these, most of us in these youth sports field. And people got excited about uh, falling in love with God. And their ways were changed. Wow. I mean, just, it's, the harvest is ripe. You know, you know, it, it is waiting for the harvesters, you know, for the workers to go out there. We are the workers. Those of us who love the Lord, who enjoy sports, we go out into those fields. They are ripe for the picking. Let's put ourselves in position so that we will experience the glory of the impossible where God can work in our life beyond anything we can dream or imagine. 
and he and he alone will receive the glory. And I guarantee that experience will be unlike anything you've ever experienced in sports or any of your, let's put it this way, your dreams that you could have in sports could ever provide for you. So good. And, and such a great way to uh, end us. You know, if, if this was a uh, television show or a sitcom, this would be our uh, midseason uh, finale. Um, so we are, you know, such a great way to end us. And really, again, we want to challenge our listeners out there. Um, gotten several great comments over the past several weeks, too, via Twitter. So thank you so much for uh, responding. Uh, it's always great to know how people are receiving the podcast. Um, but, you know, just so many things for um, for us as families to consider and think about in this environment of competitive sports, in particular youth competitive sports. So, um, you know, take all this. We, you know, hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, we'll see you on the other side of the year. And remember that everything that we've been talking about is only possible through the glory of the impossible. <laughs>